0: Section 26 of Inquiry Concerning Political Justice and Its Influence on Morals and Happiness, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jay Grunfelder, Northern Georgia. Inquiry Concerning Political Justice and Its Influence on Morals and Happiness, Volume 2, by William Godwin. Of Religious Establishments Their general tendency Effects on the clergy. They introduce 1. Implicit faith. 2. Hypocrisy. Topics by which an adherence to them is vindicated. Effects on the laity. Application. One of the most striking instances of the injurious effects of the political patronage of opinion, as it at present exists in the world, is to be found in the system of religious conformity. Let us take our example from the Church of England by the constitution of which subscription is required from its clergy, to 39 articles of precise and dogmatical assertion upon almost every subject of moral and metaphysical inquiry. Here, then, we have to consider the whole honors and revenues of the church, from the archbishop who takes precedence next after the princes of the blood royal, to the meanest curate in the nation, as employed in support of a system of blind submission and abject hypocrisy. Is there one man, through this numerous hierarchy, that is at liberty to think for himself? Is there one man among them that can lay his hand upon his heart and declare, upon his honor and conscience, that the emoluments of his profession have no effect in influencing his judgment? The supposition is absurd. The most that an honest and discerning man under such circumstances can say is, I hope not, I endeavor to be impartial. First, the system of religious conformity is a system of blind submission. In every country possessing a religious establishment, the state, from a benevolent care it may be for the manners and opinions of its subjects, publicly excites a numerous class of men to the study of morality and virtue. What institution we might obviously be led to inquire can be more favorable to public happiness. Morality and virtue are the most interesting topics of human speculation and the best effects might be expected to result from the circumstance of many persons perpetually receiving the most liberal education and setting themselves apart for the express cultivation of these topics. But, unfortunately, these very men are fettered in the outset by having a code of propositions put into their hands in a conformity to which all their inquiries must terminate. The direct tendency of science is to increase from age to age, And to proceed from the slenderest beginnings to the most admirable conclusions. But care is taken in the present case to anticipate these conclusions and to bind men by promises and penalties not to improve upon the science of their ancestors. The plan is designed indeed to guard against degeneracy and decline, but it makes no provision for advance. It is founded in the most sovereign ignorance of the nature of mind, which never fails to do either the one or the other Secondly, the tendency of a code of religious conformity is to make men hypocrites. To understand this, it may be sufficient to recollect the various subterfuges that have been invented by ingenious men to apologize for the subscription of the English clergy. It is observable, by the way, that the articles of our church are founded upon the creed of the Calvinists, though for 150 years past it has been accounted disreputable among the clergy to be of any other than the opposite or Armenian tenets. Volumes have been written to prove that while these articles express Calvinistic sentiments they are capable of a different construction and that the subscriber has a right to take advantage of that construction. Divines of another class have rested their arguments upon the known good character and benevolent intentions of the first reformers and have concluded that they could never intend to tyrannize over the consciences of men or to preclude the advantage of further information. Lastly, there are many who have treated the Articles as Articles of Peace, and inferred that, though you did not believe, you might allow yourself the disingenuity of subscribing them, provided you added the further guilt of constantly refraining to oppose what you consider as an adulteration of divine truth. It would perhaps be regarded as incredible, if it rested upon the evidence of history alone, that a whole body of men, set apart as the instructors of mankind, weaned, as they are expected to be, from temporal ambition, and maintained upon the supposition that the existence of human virtue and divine truth depends on their exertions, should, with one consent, employ themselves in a casuistry, the object of which is to prove the propriety of a man's declaring his assent to what he does not believe. These men either credit their own subterfuges or they do not. If they do not, what can be expected from men so unprincipled and profligate? With what front can they exhort other men to virtue, with the brand of infamy upon their own foreheads? If they do yield this credit, what must be their portion of moral sensibility and discernment? Can we believe that men shall enter upon their profession with so notorious a perversion of reason and truth, and that no consequences will flow from it to infect their general character? Rather, can we fail to compare their unnatural and unfortunate state with the wisdom and virtue which the same industry and exertion might unquestionably have produced if they had been left to their genuine operation? They are like the victims of Circe to whom human understanding was preserved entire, that they might more exquisitely feel their degraded condition. They are incited, like Tantalus, to contemplate and desire an object, the fruition of which is constantly withheld from their unsuccessful attempts. They are held up to their contemporaries as the votaries of truth, while political institution tyrannically commands them in all their varieties of understanding, and through a succession of ages to model themselves by one invariable standard." Such are the effects that a code of religious conformity produces upon the clergy. Let us consider the effects that are produced upon their countrymen. They are bid to look for instruction and morality to a denomination of men, formal, embarrassed, and hypocritical, in whom the main spring of intellect is unbent and incapable of action. If the people be not blinded with religious zeal, they will discover and despise the imperfections of their spiritual guides. If they be so blinded, they will not the less transplant into their own characters the imbecile and unworthy spirit they are not able to detect. Is virtue so deficient in attractions as to be incapable of gaining adherence to her standard? Far otherwise. Nothing can bring the wisdom of a just and pure conduct into question but the circumstance of its being recommended to us from an equivocal quarter. The most malicious enemy of mankind could not have invented a scheme more destructive of their true happiness than that of hiring at the expense of the state a body of men whose business it should seem to be to dupe their contemporaries into the practice of virtue. One of the lessons that powerful facts are perpetually reading to the inhabitants of such countries is that of duplicity and prevarication in an order of men which, if it exists at all, ought to exist only for reverence. Can it be thought that this prevarication is not a subject of general notoriety? Can it be supposed that the first idea that rises to the understanding of the multitude at sight of the clergyman is not that of a man who inculcates certain propositions, not so properly because he thinks them true or thinks them interesting, as because he is hired to the employment? Whatever instruction a code of religious uniformity may fail to convey, there is one that it always communicates the wisdom of sacrificing our understandings and maintaining a perpetual discord between our professions and our sentiments. Such are the effects that are produced by political institution in a case in which it most zealously intends, with parental care, to guard its subjects from seduction and depravity. These arguments do not apply to any particular articles and creeds, but to the notion of ecclesiastical establishments in general. Wherever the state sets apart a certain revenue for the support of religion, it will infallibly be given to the adherents of some particular opinions, and will operate in the manner of prizes to induce men to embrace and profess those opinions. Undoubtedly, if I think it right to have a spiritual instructor to guide me in my researches and, at stated intervals, publicly to remind me of my duty, I ought to be at liberty to take the proper steps to supply myself in this respect. A priest who thus derives his mission from the unbiased judgment of his parishioners will stand a chance to possess, beforehand and independently of corrupt influence, the requisites they demand. But why should I be compelled to contribute to the support of an institution whether I approve of it or no? If public worship be conformable to reason, reason without doubt will prove adequate to its vindication and support. If it be from God, it is profanation to imagine that it stands in need of the alliance of the state. It must be, in an imminent degree, Artificial and exotic, if it be incapable of preserving itself in existence otherwise than by the inauspicious interference of political institution. End of section twenty six. Recording by J. Gronfelder, Northern Georgia.